Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to the first episode of my podcast, Understanding Healthcare. Today, I spoke with Dr. Vin Gupta, global health policy expert and affiliate assistant professor at the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. He is also active as a pulmonary and critical care physician and frequently appears on MSNBC. We spoke about where we are with regard to the COVID-19 pandemic right now and what the next couple of months will look like in addition to how we can improve our healthcare system moving forward. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Vin Gupta. Hi, Sam. Hello, Dr. Gupta. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Um, how can I help? Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I first just wanted to thank you for making time. I know how busy this time of year is, especially, you know, even without a pandemic. Um, uh, but but you've been on MSNBC often since the pandemic began. And so, you know, you that's how you become a common name in my house. Um, mm-hmm. um, so I've come to I've come to look up to you during this time because you're clear voice on these tough issues. But I just had a few questions I wanted to ask about, you know, where we are right now, but also kind of moving when we move out of the pandemic and how can we make a more equitable healthcare system uh, in the future based on what we've learned uh, during the past couple of months. So yeah, first, no, no, thank you. I'm glad to help. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. So my first question is, you know, today's January 25th, 2021. Could you give me your thoughts as to like where we are right now with regard to the current status of COVID-19? Uh, I mean, the new variants coming out, um, you know, we're hitting these new death records every day and at the same time trying to manage the distribution of these vaccines, which at least for now we're seeing that they're uh, uh, working against the variant. So could you just give me your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, Sam, uh, I think it's the question that's top of mind for, for really everybody is, are these new variants gonna be uh, problematic when it comes to um, uh, their, uh, our, the current inventory of vaccines that are both approved and then also those that are in the pipeline. Truth is, we, we just don't know. Uh, that There are some concerning findings coming out of South Africa that their specific variant, that I believe is the 135B variant, the technical name, um, looks like it's less responsive to antibodies or gets, uh, in some ways, escapes some of the immune response that's engendered by vaccines um, and certainly by natural infection, but not entirely. And so it does seem like the vaccines themselves will be effective to some degree against these new strains. But what it also should cause um, us to think about at least is that as this pandemic continues to rage, there will, uh, there's continued transmission will allow for this strain to continue to adapt, to continue to mutate. So even though right now we think the vaccines might be effective against them, um, the the fact that they're less effective against them than the wild type strain should be alarming because what we're seeing is this evolution of the the spike protein, that part of that virus particle that we're we're really, uh, that the vaccines themselves are really targeted against. If we're seeing that spike protein alter itself a bit, that's concerning. And so uh, the more that that uh, mutations that arise in that protein, uh, and we're going to give coronavirus a chance to do just that because there's so much transmission and coronaviruses love to mutate. So we have to watch out. And that's why surveillance is going to be really important. It's also important to note that um, it, it, it is really, really likely that we're probably going to get another vaccine for COVID-19 in 2022. So Moderna's already working on the so-called booster shot. 
And that's just a, a fact of, of life here with these strains as they evolve that we're gonna probably have to get that, that booster. And then I'll, I'll lastly say that this should cause us to be very, very uh, humble about how we approach the next six to 12 months that as we think about removing or relaxing infection control measures, you know, everybody wants to stop wearing a mask to go on holidays. We need to look at the data and, and basically what should guide us is what's happening with cases and hospitalizations. Are people that get the vaccine, are they good or are they also getting reinfected potentially with this new strain? So we have to be open-minded and humble, especially as we're getting um, tired and want to see normalcy. Right. I mean, I, you know, we've seen a slower than usual distribution of, of the vaccines. And so I think that doesn't that even that raises the importance of continuing these measures of wearing a mask, distancing, uh, you know, not going to indoor gatherings, right, as you just pointed out, you know. That's exactly right, Tim. Well, right now, especially, I mean, vaccines right now are not going to impact our lived experience right now. They will. Uh, we, we hope by, say, the beginning of May is when we expect that there's going to be some impact of the vaccines on transmission, and that some states will have um, hopefully enjoyed some degree of herd immunity. But having said all of that, it, it, it's, it's certainly, uh, it, it's not a guarantee. And so uh, we have to still stay vigilant, and, and in part because just because you get the vaccine doesn't mean that um, you may not still get exposed and infected with the virus and then unwittingly transmitted it to others. So there's that risk. But then also there's, uh, because we don't know that, it, it's it's really hard to wrap, have people wrap their heads around this concept of like, well, how, how am I protected from ending up in the intensive care unit, but I'm not protected from asymptomatic infection? It's really hard, I mean, really to wrap your head around it. And so really encouraging people to stay true to the um, masking, distancing, avoiding unnecessary travel, things like that is gonna be really important. Yeah, one of, one of the things that really interests me and I think will have a huge impact in the, in the, in the next couple, I mean, decades really, are these long-term side effects we're seeing in people who, who you know, maybe don't go or, you know, do go to the uh, ICU or the hospital, but also maybe uh, don't, aren't hospitalized. They have these long-term side effects we're seeing. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the, the long-term impacts of this virus on, on, on people's health when it comes to, you know, pre, when it comes to pre-existing conditions uh, and the things we're seeing, you know, mental fog and all the things that are, are being reported? Uh, so, it just, Sam, I think this emphasizes that there's just so much we do not know about this virus and its impacts both uh, on, uh, on memory, on uh, long-term impacts, the long COVID syndrome. You know, there's, we're learning about it as we speak, the impact of COVID-19 months later on uh, lung physiology, on cardiovascular physiology. On, on just, um, to your point, um, uh, neurologic performance, cognitive kind of wherewithal we just don't there's so much we don't know and 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 yet people you know right now what i find really amazing is this incredible inconsistency between what you hear so for example our leading lights in, in infectious disease like dr fauci mm -hmm. you you will hear him appropriately say we should be avoiding congregation and indoor settings, we should be, so don't have your neighbors over for dinner. Right. Um, maybe double mask, uh, 
uh, I'm hearing others say only go to the grocery store now for 15 minutes once a week, like basically rush in with a, a double mask and a face shield for 15 minutes. That is causing, I, I think, a fair degree, degree of, okay, wow, we're really that concerned here about these new strains and this evolving situation. Right. So we're going to say that, but yet it's still okay for governors to open up restaurants in 47 states, even with restrictions. Schools, of course, have been a big proponent that at least adult staff should be vaccinated before we start encouraging people to congregate in indoor settings across the country. It's just, it's cognitive dissonance and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, when this, when this, you know, pandemic is over and, and people start to, you know, the, there's, a, there's a difference between everyone getting vaccinated and we reach that herd immunity level and people feeling like they can, you know, go out and do things. Um, but yeah, my dad's a primary care physician at University Hospitals in Cleveland. And he always talks about how, you know, we don't really have a, like a structured public health system in America compared to other countries' public health systems. You know, do you have any thoughts on, on things we've learned from this pandemic that we can implement to, to make a better structured public health system, do you think, in this country? Or yeah, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's just going to take time. Um, it's it's going to take time. It's going to take bipartisan financial support, uh, not both in the short term and then over the long term, to recognize how vital it is for us to have functioning, well-staffed uh, departments of public health, people that can be vaccinators one day, but contact tracers the next, um, or community health workers going sort of door by door with you name it, maybe one day we're doing at-home testing, at-home vaccination. Then we'd realize a lot of people um, like consuming healthcare at home. And, and so th this pandemic will have changed how people consume healthcare, but it's also put a lot of stress and expectations on local and state departments of health to really step up. And you're noticing, and I think people see this all the time, it's great that we have an, an, a leadership change in, in DC for just purposes of Federal leadership is vital. Nobody's going to deny that from a messaging standpoint, from a resource allocation standpoint. Yeah. Um, well, but it's also important to recognize that governors at the end of the day and state and local boards of education determine mask mandates, determine who goes to school when. And the president can, can exert some control, but that's, that, that's why we have federalism here and state rights. And so we, we need 50 governors to be acting in sync. Um, and, and a lot of that depends then on, on strong local and state departments of health to, to amplify and to be, best utilize resources that have been given to them. So you can't just expect like one centralized response from DC and somehow that's gonna reach all 50 states. That's just, that's not gonna work. Yeah, last, last question. Um, you, know, in this, you know, we've been in these many months, you know, we filled with uncertainty, a lot of changes happened what would your advice be to young people who want to go into careers in medicine and how has the pandemic made you reflect, you know, on why you chose to go into medicine more specifically, I know you do pulmonology and critical care in your university of Washington, IHME, but can you give me your thoughts on, you know, what you've reflected on the past couple of months? You know, I, I, I think medicine is always, um, in my view, has always been a profession that's a calling and it's, it's tough because how do you at say, 18 or 22 really know that it's your calling to treat patients if 
you know, how much of us have had direct experience for that as we're going through high school and college. It's, it, you have to sort of, you have to take a leap. I will say now more than ever though, to, it is, I've heard from pre-medical students all the way through, you know, individuals in their medical training, ask me about what it's like to be a doc that's, you know, fulfilling some of the roles that I'm fulfilling right now. And it's incredibly satisfying. And I think, I think what you're, what you'll see is that this pandemic will uh, it continue to increase for, for years, if not decades, people's interest in public health and then in clinical medicine, because there's really nothing that can cause the world to, to really halt and come to a standstill like a biological threat. And we know a respiratory pandemic has been frequent just in the last 15 years. We've had four or five of them of epidemic that have been epidemics um, that, and one has become um, a pandemic. Having said all of that, I, I, I do think people realize and appreciate that uh, if, if previously they thought being a physician, for example, was giving individualized care to one patient at a time. Now I think people recognize there's an ability to have really broad impact here. Right. And, and that's what's exciting. I, I always, when people ask me, you know, why do I, why am I interested in career medicine? I always say, I feel like, you know, having parents in healthcare people, but also knowing a lot of people in, in healthcare, I feel like the impact of a physician is so broad, like you just said, because not only are you treating patients, but at the same time, you can be doing research and you can also be working on health disparities. And I feel like there's so much, you know, physicians and people in medicine can do today to make a broader impact on society, right? Indeed. Indeed, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Gupta, for, for making the time to do this. It really means a lot. So thank you. Sam, thank you for reaching out and best of luck to you. That was a really insightful interview with Dr. Gupta, and I hope he provided you with important takeaways as we move forward in the coming weeks and months. Please subscribe if you haven't already. I have another interview planned for next week with Dr. Peter Pranavas, Chief Clinical Transformation Officer at University Hospitals in Cleveland, Ohio, which is really exciting. In the meantime, I hope you all are doing well and staying safe, and thank you so much for listening.